What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer, Mike Richmond. You are listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Got a great show for you today. We're going to talk about Blazers ball movement, Anthony Simon's slump, and whether the Blazers can morph into an elite crunch time defense. Spoiler on that last one, probably not, but we're going to talk about it anyways. Let's start with assists, though. This seems to be one of the big sort of talking points with the national media when they watched the Blazers on Tuesday when the Blazers got stomped out by the Los Angeles Clippers. Chris Webber basically hijacked the podcast to talk about the Blazers' isolation offense. Chris Webber was mad, y'all. He was he was basically uh, upset that the Blazers don't pass the ball like they did in years past. And Weber's probably right to some extent. The Blazers don't pass the ball like years past. Certainly not of Stotts' first season in Portland when the ball zipped around and they would talk about Blazer basketball sharing the ball unselfishly. Those times have changed. In fact, the Blazers are dead last in the league in assist percentage. Just 48.7% of their baskets come via assist. The only team in the league assisting fewer than half its buckets. And if you don't like assist percentage, if that percentage is too confusing for you, let's get simpler. The Blazers are second to last in the league in raw assists. Just straight up, how many assists do they have? They're second to last league in total passes. The NBA now tracks the number of passes each team's make, each team makes. And the Blazers, 29th in the NBA in total passes. They just don't pass the ball that much. So the isolation complaints, the the sort of like stylistic pleasingness, it, it's certainly true. But some of this is the function of who they have on the team. C.J. McCollum has never been a high assist guy, neither dishing them out or receiving them. He likes to dribble into his shots. The Blazers were like this last year when they were the third best offense in the NBA. It's just a function of personnel. Dame isn't a big sort of cut off the ball or play off the ball guy. He doesn't get a ton of assisted buckets. Last year, you know, when they would dump the ball into Nurk in the post, those aren't those aren't buck those aren't assisted buckets. They didn't do that very often, but but certainly that's somewhat of the the function of it. Dame and CJ play in isolation. They dribble. They take shots off the dribble. They're very good at it. It's it's an identity thing. Terry Stotts said before the game against the Sacramento Kings on Wednesday that he always prefers that the ball ping around, that that there's tons of ball movement and all these things. It's kind of the offense that he installed when he first got here was predicated on this uh, tons of ball movement and player movement and this beautiful brand of basketball. And, and Stotts was sort of the architect of this offense that was very aesthetically pleasing. But that was with a different group of guys. And with this group of guys, they are better ISO scorers. And Stotts has kind of leaned into letting them be who they are. To wit, the Blazers run the second most isolation plays of any team in the league. They're hilariously not even half as many as Houston runs because the Rockets are doing something that no one else does. But in terms of the other sort of 29 more comparable teams... The Blazers are at the bottom. Interestingly enough, the Blazers also lead the league in points per possession in isolation. They've passed up the Rockets in that regard, scoring 1.07 points per possession when they go to ISO plays, according to NBA's tracking data. 
They're second in the league in effective field goal percentage out of ISOs. And the Blazers score 48.4% of the time that they run an isolation play. That's the second best rate scoring rate in the league out of isolation. Uh, the NBA tracks whether you get fouled, draw free throws, or create an assist off of uh, that starts in an isolation play. That's that's that scoring percentage. But I think importantly, what all those numbers suggest is that the Blazers are good in isolation. They're not a particularly good offensive team, but. Adding Carmelo Anthony to the mix, while his catch-and-shoot numbers have been good, I don't think it increases their chance, the Blazers' chances of um, morphing into this ball movement, zipping-it-around type offense. Blazers, as of Thursday morning, are 11th in the league in offensive rating. They're probably going to creep towards the top 10, right around that back half of the top 10. So they're going to be an above-average, just straight-up good defense. Now, I think there is some pressure, some interest in in deciding whether this is good, like capital G good or capital B bad, whether isolation basketball is healthy or whether isolation basketball is bad. I will say this. I think that the Blazers' tendency towards isolation against good teams can get them in trouble because particularly teams like the Clippers that have a bunch of good individual defenders. They can just switch everything off up top and let the Blazers play into their worst tendencies, which is not passing the ball, trying to score in isolation against elite defensive players. You know, when it's the Clippers started that group with Kawhi, PG, Mo Harkless, Pat Bev, that's you switch between those guys, particularly the first three, because they're so long, it's just hard to score in isolation against that group. So I think against the elite teams, the, the Blazers' style kind of lends itself to more problems. But against bad teams, particularly against teams where you can pick on their, their weaker defenders that aren't the absolute elite defensive teams in the league, letting CJ McCollum find a switch that he likes and go to work against someone who can't guard him is often the Blazers' best plan. Running a 1-4 pick and roll and getting Carmelo Anthony switched onto a smaller defender and just letting Carmelo be Carmelo, jab step, you know, lean his shoulder into someone, shoot a fadeaway from 15 feet, that's maybe the Blazers' best offense. Now against the Kings, on Wednesday night, the Blazers had 28 assists, matching their second highest total for the season. Hassan Whiteside had seven dimes a career high, nearly doubling his previous career high. They can pass the ball. In this particular game against the Kings, there was some sort of functional stuff that led to this. The Kings were trapping pick and rolls. Uh, Damian Lord particularly was getting the ball out a little bit earlier to Hassan Whiteside, which was giving him a full beat, maybe even a full dribble to see the help defender, turn and square his shoulders, make that pass, let someone else score. Whiteside isn't a natural gifted passer. He's not particularly skilled at it either, but he can make reads in these four-on-three situations, particularly when the Blazers play with the starting group that they have where they have shooters all over the court or the finishing group they had with Bazemore on the court. Same thing. He made some three-pointers. Feels feels good for old Baze to do that. Also ups the assist total. The Blazers are capable of this, but I think they're more comfortable just 
getting back into their isolation ways, and they're really effective at that. I don't know if it's good or bad that they don't pass. I know that in or that they don't pass much. I know that in against the absolute best teams, like they'll play Friday against the Lakers, that can get exploited a little bit. But zipping the ball around would probably demand that this team has guys who cut better off the ball, guys who work themselves into space and don't just spot up the way the Blazers do. Some of it, the passing stuff is real. I think, um, I think they have some real issues with ball movement, but I also think that it goes deeper than that. They, they don't have a bunch of plus passers to move the ball. They don't have a bunch of plus cutters to sort of get into space and, and use that ability. It's not like Carmelo Anthony and CJ McCollum are zipping backdoor. CJ had a couple backdoor cuts, but it was mostly just when the whole backside was open, he could beat his man quickly, straight line cut, finish with a layup. I think the Blazers assist things something to monitor. I think them being dead last is probably a problem. But if they were an elite offensive team last year and they were among the the bottom teams in the league in passing, if they don't pass a bunch, I don't know if it's necessarily uh, symptomatic of a bad offense. It might just be a feature of their personnel. Okay, in the second segment, I want to talk about Anthony Simon, speaking of the Blazers' personnel. He's been struggling a little bit, and I want to sort of highlight what's going on with the second-year guard. Okay, so we talked Blazers' assist totals. They're low. I'm not sure it matters, but they're undeniably low. Now I want to talk a little bit about Anthony Simons, the Blazers' second-year guard who was maybe inappropriately highly touted this offseason, who looked pretty good early on in the season, but has struggled a little bit as of late. I want to highlight those struggles and maybe discuss how the Blazers can get him going a little bit more. So over the Blazers' first 12 games of the season, Anthony Simon scored in double figures eight times. He was, if not super effective or dominant or any of those things, just really solid. 15 in an easy win at Sacramento, 20 in the OT win against the Hawks, 17 at the against the Clippers. He just had some nice nights. On November 13th, he had 17 in a loss against the Raptors. The Blazers played the Raps pretty tough for three quarters and then just got out-talented down the stretch. They just could not stop Pascal Siakam, and they lost. But Ann had 17. Six of 11 from the fourth, three of eight from three. He looked solid. He's 20 years old. It's his first real chance to play NBA minutes, and he looked like he was taking advantage of it. But over the last 10 games, since that game against the Raptors, Ant has undeniably struggled. He's shooting 33% from the floor, 25% from three, and 65% from the free throw line. He's not really getting to the free throw line very much, but he's missing free throws. He's had four games in double figures, but even those haven't exactly been sterling efforts. He was 3-for-10 against the Rockets in a blowout where he finished with 10 points. 4-for-10 in a loss against New Orleans when he finished with 13. And, and then he had 14 points against the Thunder and an easy win for the Blazers, but he was 6-of-14 from the floor. And I think some of the struggles really culminated against the Kings last night where Ant went... One for five, missed both his three-point attempts, 
and fouled out in 13 minutes. He just looked overmatched against a Kings team that isn't super good. I mean, he spent a little bit of time checking Buddy Heald, who's a very good guard. But a lot of it was Yogi Ferrell kind of abusing him. Ant is believably struggling. Let's just start there. He's 20 years old. He had played 140 NBA minutes coming into the season, and 48 of those came in one game. But the Blazers spent the summer unfairly touting him. Really, I'll just say, inappropriately touting him. Neil Olshay said that he was the best young guard in the NBA and the best player that he had ever drafted in his 15 years as an NBA executive. Those are fine things to say in private and to believe in private. It's actually maybe a fine thing to say to one reporter so it becomes a story that somebody wrote and and then they can you know get it on get it on the record but to sit down at a press conference on draft night and to say it for the for the whole world to hear just seems inappropriate not because maybe you don't believe it i'm not saying lie about it but it just puts unfair pressure on simon simon's wasn't supposed to be a contributor this year he was maybe supposed to be a borderline star based on the way the blazers were promoting him is that fair Did they do that to Zach Collins? He certainly had a big role and a ton of pressure on him, but the Blazers didn't talk about how he was going to be one of the best defensive players in the NBA. I bet Neil believes what he's saying. I I bet he really does think Anthony Simons is this good and and, then this special and ready to take such a big step forward. I I have no, no problems believing that he's telling the truth when he says that. I've often said this is that when uh, Neil usually tells the truth about the future, but lies about the past. But Simons has undeniably struggled, and not in a way that's like maybe super alarming on the whole. Plenty of players have stretches where they just can't shoot for 10 games. But considering where the expectations were pushed in July, August, and September, I think it's worth noting that Simons has struggled. I think some of it is because he is forcing the offense a little bit. He's a scorer. He's not a. He's more CJ than Dame, uh, and by that I mean he's just more of a two than a one. Uh, a couple times against the Kings on Thursday, he had guys open and just didn't see him. He just didn't get his head up or, or didn't or waited a half a half second too long to sort of make a pass. One, he had a guy wide open in the corner. Another Rodney Hood wide open under the rim. Uh, he just didn't see him. It's just there's a half beat too long because he's, he's looking to beat his man. The other is, I think the Blazers have alternated between giving Simons the keys to the the keys to the truck and uh, letting him drive that second unit, and then maybe reining it back in a little bit as he started to struggle. The Blazers have reconfigured the uh, how the second unit works, moving CJ McCollum and Carmelo Anthony into that second unit, which means that Simon's chances are a little, uh, they're just not as frequent. And I I do feel like when he gets the ball, he says, okay, here's my opportunity. I'm only going to play 15 to 20 minutes tonight. I'm going to go ahead and get mine. He knows his leash is a little bit shorter. He knows his opportunities are a little bit fewer. And I think he's being more aggressive and less judicious in his chances. I talked to him a little bit after uh, the game on 
Wednesday night. He was not in a good mood. He had just fouled out in 13 minutes. He didn't have a lot of answers. I'll try again maybe when he has a slightly better game. I think it's not alarming that Simons is struggling. Like I said, plenty of 20-year-olds struggle in the NBA. You're probably not even supposed to be good in the NBA at that age. But the Blazers' hopes to be a really good team rests on having that just an elite offensive group. And Simons has to factor into that elite offensive group. They need to be able to zip to blitz people with that second unit when it's CJ, him, and Melo. They need to have a trio that's really, really good on offense. Right now, they don't have that. I'm not alarmed about Simon's play. I'm highlighting because it's noteworthy. He's had 10 bad games in a row. Not even bad games. He's just had a 10-game stretch where he isn't that good. He's not efficient. He's not doing a lot. I mean, it's just, it, it is what it is. I don't think this is time to be super alarmed, but I think it is time to note that uh, the Blazers would be helped if Simon's played a little bit better. All right, in the third segment, I want to talk about something we saw against the Sacramento Kings that has to be the Blazers' formula for success. That's what we'll close the show with. But first, I want to tell you guys about my bookie. Are you the type of fan that knows football so well that you could choose any game and call it? Well, my bookie is the place for you because they let you turn all your sports knowledge into cash in your wallet. Between football season, NBA, and the start of college basketball season, it's time to get off the sideline and get into the action with my bookie. If you're the kind of person who likes to bet a little and win a lot, try parlay. For instance, if you like a couple big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win. Tired of watching the game from the couch with nothing to play? My bookie wants you to get your mind off everything else and back on the game. So if you join my bookie right now, they will match your deposit halfway, all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. Just use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA to activate the offer. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-N-B-A. Once again, that's promo code LOCKEDONNBA to take advantage of MyBookie's generous sign-up offer. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, so we talked... Blazers assist totals. We talked to Anthony Simons. Two things I think are notable, but not necessarily deeply concerning. Now let's talk about one of the Blazers' deeply concerning problems. They're bad on defense. They're bad. They're 21st in the league in defensive rating. This isn't news. That's not really what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is something that you see in the locker room when in the Moda Center. They do this on the road too, but I don't, I'm don't. i not on the road. I see this at the Moda Center when I walk in the Blazers locker room. There's a whiteboard at the back wall. Uh, the whiteboard used to be where they would write down quick scouting report stuff or, or, or there's and there's little um, permanently imprinted courts so you can sketch a half-court play real quick. But there's also just a bunch of big open space. There's sometimes, or pre-game, there are... Uh, motivational quotes for the team, the sort of quote that's going to sum up the game and things like that. 
locker room stuff, basketball things, the believable whiteboard in the back of the, of the locker room. But after the game, when, when they let the media in, uh, there are the remnants of this sort of tradition that the Blazers have had for a while that they've slightly tweaked this year. They write up the defensive rating and the number of stops for each quarter and each half. It'll say first quarter defensive rating. <laughs> well, on, on Wednesday, 128. Stops, 9. Second quarter, 121. Stops, 10. First half, 122. You get it. So they have the defensive rating up there. They have the number of stops up there. And there's this funny ritual where the PR staff has taken to uh, sliding this board over the whiteboard. There's like a separate little wooden panel that covers up the whiteboard. Um, as if these are sort of trade secrets. As these, are, these are things that need to be hidden from the press. Uh, this is public, publicly available data. You can you can look up the Blazers' defensive rating by quarter if you're interested. I guess you couldn't look up the number of stops very easily, but that's something you could chart by watching the game. This isn't these aren't secrets. These aren't scouting stuff. These are just a, a tradition the Blazers do to clue in their guys to what they're doing, to how they're playing. And the Blazers have been really really bad defensively all year. In fact, they're one of the worst fourth quarter defenses in the league. It's been a tradition. It's something I even talked about when they were the absolute worst. They're not that bad right now. They're only 28th in the league in, de- in fourth quarter defensive rating. So often when you walk in the locker room, the number, the fourth quarter number is kind of embarrassing. It'll be, you know, 121 or just just a huge number. You know, they'll, just, they'll have just seeded a bunch of points, particularly early in the year, just losing a game at crunch time because they could not figure out a way to get a stop. In fact, I've done a a segment on this podcast talking about how the Blazers' fourth-quarter defense is a nightmare. But against the Kings, that number was low, 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 84. That's .84 points per possession or 84 points per 100 possessions, depending on how you like to normalize that number. And I kind of think this is the way that the Blazers salvage their not very good defense. I don't think this team leaps into the top 10. I don't think, in fact, Kent Bazemore, when I was talking to him about this, he kind of had this funny uh, sort of thinking out loud. I didn't, I wrote a story about this on NBC Sports Northwest, but uh, Bazemore was kind of, he was talking to me about how the Blazers, you know, if they can just get better on defense, they can really turn their season around. And he said, we could be a top 10 defense maybe top 15 <laughs> it wasn't a full it wasn't a full thought uh but he he kind of I, I like you know was talking to him and watched that thought sort of process in his brain in real time and I thought it was really funny because I I kind of agree with Bayes this isn't a top 10 defense but if they creep towards 15 if they creep towards league average they're going to be pretty good if they're you know seventh in offense and 15th in defense they're going to be good they're going to be a team that challenges for um, not just the 7th or 8th seed in the West, but maybe a little bit higher. I don't think it's super realistic that they make that jump from 21st um, all the way up there, but they could get better. They could improve. And I think that starts with just being better in the fourth quarter. And why I highlight the fourth quarter is because that's the first three quarters are often more often subject to the rotation. Here's who we play and when. We have to get guys rest. We have to buy 
certain guys time. We can't play Damon CJ 41 minutes. We got to figure out a way to keep them down between 35 and 37. You kind of have to rest guys. But in the fourth quarter in crunch time, you can make more strategic substitutions. The Blazers on Wednesday took Rodney Hood out. He was apparently dealing with a sore Achilles, but also put Bazemore in just because he was the best defensive option they had out there and they needed to continue to play defense. I think the Blazers' sort of path to respectability is to be, instead of one of the bottom three fourth quarter defenses in the NBA, maybe like where they are on average, 20, 21st, maybe in the teens. Say they're the 17th best fourth quarter defense, a slightly below average crunch time defense. I think that's their path towards respectability is to get kind of good on D at winning time. That means a little more focus, a little more attention to detail, a little more attention to the scouting report stuff. A little luck goes your way because you're playing hard and you salvage your season. I think the whiteboard is going to tell the truth no matter what. And I think that fourth quarter whiteboard number, a number I'll peek at before the PR staff hilariously covers it up, is what their defensive rating is in the fourth quarter. Are they a little better at winning time? I don't think this is a good defensive team. I don't think they have good defensive players. But I think if they were a little bit sharper when it's time to win, it could save their season. That's going to do it for today's show. Appreciate you guys listening. Blazers play the Lakers on Friday. Should be a really fun one. And then host the Oklahoma City Thunder on Sunday. I'll just say it too, even though I don't believe it. Should be a really fun one. I have a podcast following those games. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already find podcasts. Google, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. Appreciate you guys listening. Talk to you soon.